And welcome to Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast. I'm your host, Dr. James, with Dr. Dante. And we have a returning guest, our resident yogi, Dr. Elizabeth Baliakina. Dr. Elizabeth, thank you for coming back on the show. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Well, we had to get you back. Now, Elizabeth, Dr. Elizabeth, just so you all know, is... um, in addition to being our, our resident yoga expert, she has been... She's actually one of our residents. She is one of our residents, and she is finishing, she's graduating here in the next few months and moving on to amazing things in San Antonio. She's going to work with uninsured patients who need what we can offer but can't necessarily pay for it through traditional means. So good on you, Dr. Elizabeth, number one. Um, we're excited you. for what you're going to be able to bring to San Antonio, but before we let you go, we gotta talk more yoga. And uh, I love that what what you bring to the clinic through through your connections with with yoga. But before we get into yoga, into the meat of yoga, or whatever you would like to say for that, how did you get into yoga in the first place? Well, I was. Um... I had graduated from high school and I did ballet in high school and I, um, I kept driving by this yoga studio and, um, I just decided to go to a class one day. So it just kind of happened. Um, and what, what caught your eye about, about yoga? Did you know anything about it or was it just a, a random, huh, yoga, let's try that. Not really. Um, I didn't really know very much about yoga, but I think, because it involved movement, um, uh, I, I wanted to be able to continue something that involved um, uh, moving, like ballet did. Well, and and ballet in particular, there, the movement is so graceful. I can understand why you'd want to go into yoga. I know some of the uh, more influential ballet teachers are now using yoga as part of their ballet repertoire uh, to help ballet dancers with their mechanics and to prevent injury. Um, so yoga, uh, as you started getting into yoga, what was the, was there anything that you noticed about it that, that changed you? I think yoga can be a vehicle for change um, in different ways. Um, so just um, simply by moving, like if I went to a yoga class, I'm going to drink more water. If I'm, you know, I might eat healthier. I might, um, um, it, it makes, and then in more subtle ways, when you're practicing, you're processing things, um, like your reactions to um, being in different poses, um um, your reaction to to moving, to um, sometimes staying still in a pose. Um, so I think there are different layers to to how yoga can contribute to change. It made me feel more calm. First memories I remember of you know taking a class. You are one of the most calm individuals I have ever met, so I, I can definitely understand how that would that would uh, speak to you. Although I admit I did hear her raise her voice one time this week, possibly the first time in literally ever. 
Well, it was a patient who was deaf, so I had to make sure. <laughs> I was going to say why you were deaf. Too late. Just... <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a very kind-hearted <laughs> elevation in, in, um, in decibel, but yes. Um, yeah, no, the... no, no anger associated with that whatsoever. Exactly. <laughs> But no, the the yoga thing makes sense. It's 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 a really calming vibe. What 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 was the um? Because we talked in the last episode, you and I, about the different kinds of um, different types of yoga practice, right? Like yoga in itself, roughly equates to some sort of training, broadly speaking, right? You have those who do a more pranayama, breathing based thing. You have something that's more physical. That first yoga studio, what what was that place like? What were they what were they about? Um, well, they were, they're closed down now. They actually closed in 2019, but they were one of the oldest and largest yoga studios in Texas. It was in Austin. Um, so they had a lot of um, different styles, so to speak. Um, and they had different guest lecturers and national presenters that would come visit Um and um, one of the things that happened when I moved to Fort Worth was initially I would go to different studios because I was so used to being able to just, you know, pick a class that, um, you know, I happened to want to go to and have different options in terms of um, that style or type of yoga. I I didn't expect that. That's That's pretty cool. So instead of being like a Instead of like going in and like, yeah, we were, we're asana based folks or whatever. It's, it was a place for yogas, yoga of different types to kind of be in one spot. You can, that's really cool. Yeah. What did you so gravitate you were, to? Yeah. You were searching for a studio. What were you looking for in the studio? In, uh, when I moved to, hmm, when I moved to Fort Worth, mm-hmm. I, don't remember. I think I just Googled yoga studios and I just tried several different ones. Um, and they all, you know, they, every teacher teaches a little bit differently so you can learn something different. Um, Sounds very osteopathic. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah. So I know you talk to your patients about yoga. And usually one of the questions that I get when I recommend patients go and do some yoga, they, they ask, well, what, what do I look for? What do I do? And I, I normally recommend some things that can get started with online, usually on YouTube or the, or the like. But what, what do you talk to your patients about when it comes to the questions of where should I start? What should I be doing? What should I look for? It depends on the person and what they are looking for. So, for example, I had a patient who um, uh, was um, pregnant, and so she was looking for prenatal yoga classes. So I was able to connect her to a teacher um, in the area. Um, that was one of her, um, you know, interests and things she, she had a background in. Um, other things are... Um, um, some people might like things that are more flowy, more fast paced. Um, some people really need something that's more restorative. Um, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about, um, yoga is it can be adapted to, 
to anyone. So um, if you can breathe, you can you can do yoga. If you can breathe, you can do yoga. That's that's wonderful. Yeah. That, uh, I know some some of my patients will say, "Well, I don't want to do yoga. It's too boring." Mm -hmm. So in those kinds of cases, I would do recommend more of like a hot yoga. I know Jillian Michaels does a yoga. There's the P90X yoga. Um, mm -hmm. any particular type of yoga for the patient who wants something fast, who wants something physical, it gets the heart rate up versus more of the calm pose-based yogas? Um, yes. So the, I think the yoga that you're referring to are, are based on um, originally Ashtanga, uh, which is a sequence of poses that uh, flow from one to the next and are done in a particular order. Um, and from that um, developed our vinyasa yogas, the power yogas, um, the hot yogas um, um, that are more, uh, I think, um, more associated with like, that are like more athletic, I would say, in nature. Uh, and that's that's good to know. I, I'm going to have to definitely use those as resources for my patients, especially the ones that, that tend to have attention um, deficit types of situations, for sure. Um, in, in your experience, and you've you've studied much more in depth into yoga than what I have, or what Dr. Dante has. Um, is there a, a difference between the more flow? power yogas and uh, the more calm yogas in health outcomes, or is it, are they fairly equivalent? Um, I think probably there is more of a cardiovascular benefit with the, um, with yoga that is more um, like a vinyasa yoga or based on, have a, based on the sun salutations. Um and have that sort of foundation. Um, I think it depends on what the person needs. Um, so, and depending on what phase of life they're in as well. Um, so they, you know, maybe if when I was younger, I wanted to, you know, do, you know, more, move more and um, stand on my head and try headstands and handstands and things like that and then um you know I still like doing headstands but I think my practice right now is more oriented towards um feeling healthy or normal and just you know making sure things are moving and um making sure there's kind balance of more than anything um, yeah things are balanced yeah. you know I I always um uh, envied those of you who could do the headstands. I could never, I could never get up on my head and do the headstand. <laughs> That's funny impressive. It's funny you uh, mentioned no that. My um, the other day, my wife uh, was she was actually asking me to do, oddly enough, a headstand because she knows I do um, some com some component of yoga in my general practice for my training, and my son wanted, like he sees me doing it and he just does downward dog now, like it's just. He'll go, Daddy, it's and he'll, he'll drop and go into downward dog. And yeah. he's like, do do yoga. But he can't really say why is it. So it's like woga. But um, <laughs> oh, it's great. 
but Jen's like, can you do a handstand yet? I'm like, why would you think I can do a handstand? She goes, aren't you doing yoga and stuff? And I'm like, yo, that's like, no. I basically that's just sit. level right there. That's level 10 yoga right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, like I, she knows what I, I do. Agree. Like half of my practice is me breathing. You know what I mean? But yeah, the uh, headstands are hard, I man. agree so much. Yeah, so I don't do like I can't do a handstand. I can't. I can't sit in a lotus pose. Um, I don't think you have to. I think that's one thing people think I'm. You know, I'm not flexible, or I can't. You know, I can't do yoga. But it's not. It's not about being able to do all of the poses. So, if you have an older patient that you're concerned about them getting on the floor because they either can't or they wouldn't be able to get up off the floor. What types of modifications do you recommend for those types of patients? So there's chair, chair yoga, for example. Um, you uh, basically modify the poses to be able to do them from a chair. Uh, or if, you know, if they have to, um, that, I mean, you can, Depending on, they can hold on to the chair, they can hold on to the wall. Um, there's always a way to modify things. Ooh, wall yoga. I like the, mm-hmm. I like the sound of that. Now, uh, that I, reminds me vaguely of gym class, like like wall sets. Wall and I'm assuming that's not what you're going for. Uh, probably not. Although I have been going to wall sets in my office. That's probably the, yeah. Yeah. Chair pose well, what a wall sit is, right? Maybe that that is actually. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what it is. That's. I just have very bad memories of of doing doing wall sits back when I was like seven years old and not quite able to coordinate my like glutes and hams. It was, it was a it was a bad day in gym class. It was a bad. That, day. That's a burn day right there. Oh man. And uh, Dr. Dante, I'm thinking what you should be aiming for is headstands on a chair. So that that would be chair uh-huh. yoga times times one hundred. <laughs> you know, we're going to someday come into his office, and he's going to be not only doing a headstand on his chair, he's going to be spinning the chair at the same time. So you know, for all of the things I do that are closing in on the adrenaline junkie turf, I swear this is not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> like especially, so I, I talked to with Elizabeth a lot about yoga, especially after. Uh, she did like a resident wellness thing for us about two years ago, right? She uh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was great, and um, she actually loaned me a book, uh, uh, several books actually, but one primarily was the Heart of Yoga, right? And mm-hmm. I I read it, and I was like, I was learning about this idea of like, um, basically the the way you train ought to have movements and positions that counteract the way you train in this really cool recursive way. So like. One of the really cool examples, I'm going to need your help with this, Dr. Elizabeth. Um, it was like, if you do, let's say, uh, like a downward dog, just because it's a it's a good pose that everybody can kind of like visualize, right? If you do a downward dog thing, the way it develops tension in your system, you need to have your next movement counteract the strains of that pattern, right? So like, maybe from a downward dog, you'll transition to like, like a cobra pose, but then that puts a strain on your system. So then you transition to the next pose. And what ends up happening is, the selection of movements you do end up supporting each other in such a way that you get a training effect while also minimizing the um, the overtraining effects, which I thought was extremely elegant 
I, I say all this because in a roundabout way, uh, speaking with uh, Dr. Elizabeth for you know for the years that we've worked together, I I deliberately picked up a very pranayama, very still, very breathing based practice, because all I do in all my other training is like, you know, juggle knives and the kettlebells and backflips and all, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. My yoga is really boring, and mm-hmm. that's how I like it. <laughs> For me, for me, this is the one thing where I get to well, be uh, really boring. Uh, you, you could turn it into your own P90X yoga variation. You you could turn it into a, a martial art type of yoga. You know, uh, Tony Horton's uh, yoga video is actually kind of like that. It's, it's it's not a bad one. I'm not knocking it, but it, it was a lot of warrior ones into a lot of like crescent poses and things. I, I was doing it, and half the time I wanted a spear in my hand. Like this looks like I'm about to gouge something. Well, you you could do a warrior one to a warrior two with a stick in your hand. No, I have. You called warrior. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, it, it physically makes sense. Like you go into those poses, and like just the way your body's set up, like you, it, it's stylized. But I'm like, yeah, there's definitely there should be like some sort of short sword scimitar curved thing here. And this totally makes sense with a shield like mm-hmm. uh, buckler like object here, huh? Now I understand what I'm doing with my parts. But at, at some point, I was like, I should just probably do yoga when I'm doing yoga. Let me let me try not to like run my gear in the middle of like you know. Uh, I don't know. Po- I think it would. Yeah. It, it, it maybe child's pose with a bunch of body armor is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, then then you look like a turtle. <laughs> um. I mean, hey, if it's, if it's the best defense. <laughs> I, I would love to see Dr. Elizabeth uh, doing some yoga with, with a sword, I, I have to admit. <laughs> I mean, we had a very brief stint cross-training. Like, um, At some point, I was doing a wellness didactic. Didactic is fancy doctor speak for lecture slash whatever the heck we do to each other. Um, on a Friday, once upon a time, and we were doing like the more Filipino martial art-based stuff. and. Dude, she's slick. Elizabeth can move. It was cool. Oh, man. So she's got the combination of ballet with yoga, and it's it's a really good combo. Well, it's all movement-based stuff, so it kind of overlaps in a lot of ways. What we so, do in clinic, too. So I know I peeled off for a minute because um, – uh, so – uh, I don't know if this c- catches in the audio, but at some point I actually disappeared for like about two minutes, three minutes. Uh, apologies to whoever my, my laptop was about to die. So I had to like discreetly go grab a, a charger. Powering so, up. Yeah. Apologies. If this was already brought up, Elizabeth, with your practice, are, what are you, are you training towards a particular thing? I know you mentioned that your, your movements at this point are calibrated for, for health, right? So what does that mean? Like what's, if you don't mind me asking, like, what is your setup? Like, is it a, is the very sun salutation heavy thing? Is it a lot of like, talk about it. It depends on the day. Um, on most days right now, it counteract like the sitting and the typing type type things, like the upper and lower cross type stuff we talk about with patients all the time. Um, okay. So I, um, um, it can include some salutations. Um, kind of like you were talking about when you go from one pose it'll you'll feel like you're it'll kind of naturally flow into the next pose 
like you'll be able to feel okay I did this now my muscles need this or I need to go into this pose so it kind of flows into each other and um, turns into a sequence that makes sense so I, I could see an analog in being seated in something like a downward dog in particular. Do you avoid some of those poses because you're trying to counteract the uh, seated position? Um, I think downward dog is actually helpful for seated position. Like it stretches the calves and the kind of lengthens the side body, um, strengthens the arms. Um, so I actually like downward facing dog. I'm trying to think of any poses I might avoid. Um, I think if I'm practicing late, I might avoid things that are more back bending or opening because they're more sympathetic in nature. Um, so, so I can maybe not those or um, maybe like a more more poses that are more awakening, I'd probably avoid a little bit. Just because Can't it would you, get in the way of sleep at night. You said something that caught my attention, actually. Did, um, are you linking the ideas of the back bending poses or, I guess, back dominant poses with sympathetic and just energy, like like getting more energetic? Is that an association to make? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, like if you try to do any kind of uh, backbending. Um, if you tr- try it out, it'll bring your heart rate up pretty quick. Like if um, I'm trying to think a uh, camel pose or um, just like wheel pose, um, they're, they're, they're more kind of sympathetic or awakening and so that's why you see them more in morning types of practices versus evening practices. Mm-hmm. Or for me, I mean, the, some people need to, you know, to keep yeah. the energy up or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but that makes because it, it, it draws a really cool line with the language, even like admittedly, I have no idea how the language operates in its native tongue, but we call a sun salutation what it is. And by virtue of being a sun salutation, being a, relatively extensor-based, like opening chest opening phenomenon, the nomenclature of that mm-hmm. being affiliated to sun behavior, like rising sun, like morning behavior, it's, mm-hmm. I didn't think to connect the vocabulary and the thought process of these, I guess, these back dominant movements with sun rising, with energetic ideas. And I mean, energetic, like in the in the formal sense, like being more awake, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, there's, yeah. there's an affiliation there, I guess, because... Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, when I do the opposite, like, again, child's pose, I kind of rightfully kind of want to take a nap. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's a position you can settle into. It's more, and it's more closed in. It's more introspective. Um, it's forward folding. Um, so yeah. so it's um, more calming. Kind of like a flower closing at night kind of situation where it's preparing for rest. Mm-hmm. Versus. I mean that's something that's something to explore for real though. That that's that's really cool. I I just never thought of it that way. Like I'm wondering now because, I mean, we prescribe a lot of these positions for our patients. I'm in various sequences, and I I never thought of it in the context of, hey, maybe we could use this to bring your energy up. Like, 
it's always it, for me it's always been a very strict mm-hmm. biomechanical like for your rehab blah 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 this pose into that pose this should set it up just about right but i never really factored in you know what maybe this will perk you up a little bit or maybe this will help you calm down well that sounds like that would be a fascinating research project honestly exactly. has there been any have there been any studies that uh, you've seen dr elizabeth that uh uh looked into the uh, sympathetic effect on vitals as a result of certain sequences? Um, I have not personally, but I know, for example, yoga therapists can uh, work with um, um, emotions and sequences and breath and um, meditation towards those, uh, towards uh, helping address those um, concerns. That's fascinating. And it makes me wonder about the overlap between that and what we do with neuromodulation and fascial uh, manipulation, those kinds of things. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think we've all had patients who've had like an emotional relief during the treatment and uh, I think likewise when someone's practicing on yoga on their mat, they're not just uh, you're moving um, and you're um, helping the body heal and be whole physically, but it also works on um, other levels as well and emotionally and um, helps us process thoughts and um, like you know an osteopathy that's the four tenets, uh, everything's interconnected. So have you ever, when you were treating a patient with OMT and they had an emotional release, have you ever encouraged them to go into a particular yoga pose in the middle of that release to help them manage it? And what kind of pose would you you recommend that someone use in the middle of a clinical setting to help mm-hmm. them manage an emotional output like that? I haven't used a yoga pose. I've usually done like either a CV4 or like a, uh, a dural, like a um, like a dural release, like along the spine, like a, a VSR type. Um, and for, the, for those who are not uh, our clinical listeners, CV4 is a particular technique working on the skull, and then this dural release. This is cool stuff. I do this on patients all the time. It, it's it's kind of like martial artish uh, approach to working with the spine through, through direct touch. It's it's cool. It's cool stuff. Um, I, I could see I could see a, a real parallel with the uh, especially the dural tube release and some of the back poses. For sure. Mm-hmm. I think if if I were to use a yoga pose, I think something like a child's pose would be um, would be helpful. Kind of like clo- closed in a little bit, more introspective. Okay, now you've got my interest peaked. I I just may. I just may um, break out into uh, having a patient go into a child pose right there on the exam table, as long as it, it's a safe place for them. That's an interesting thought. Might get water tables now. 
<laughs> I've actually not for like done in a water based table, you know. That's true. And what was that, Dr. Elizabeth? I had a supported supported child's pose. So you put when they're in child's pose. I've done this in clinic with a patient, kind of like Jones strain counter strain type picture. Like you put they're in child's pose, and then you put a bunch of like mm-hmm. several pillows in front of them, and they lie over it in child's pose. It was for a patient with back pain. Okay. And what, what uh, do you remember what uh, tender points they were, you were treating? Because that, that sounds like a really fascinating approach, too. I like the, the thought, of, thought of that. Were they more um, ear or for, back tender points? I think um, we were going over a sequence she could do at home, and it wasn't for a particular tender point. Um, it was um, just like a gentle forward folding kind of uh, pose to release the, the lumbar spine and the hips. Um, and um, um, But you, you can, I think, if you were going to be, you know, very osteopathic about it, if you wanted to position someone in a restorative pose, and, um, you could prop them up in a way that, was uh, therapeutically beneficial, like, um, like I don't know if you wanted to open up the, the stomach or, you know, open up the chest or um, work with someone that way. Oh, and I can totally see chest openers being useful because it seems like everyone I have been seeing lately is coming in with that muscle imbalance, the upper cross chest mm-hmm. height. You know, the sternum's not moving. The pecs are all super hypertonic. Not hypertonic, just super tight. And uh, need to have that chest opened uh, and and stretched. So I could definitely see that being a useful technique, even in the clinic. Uh, It's been striking to me how Mm -hmm. much we're able to get patients' sacrums and uh, 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 necks to move by adding work on the sternum, it's 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 amazing. And now that you're you're mentioning chest opening, that that seems like another avenue that needs to be pursued a little bit more frequently. This is making me think about the um. So, um, if you guys remember those tables uh, for for our manipulation, some of them articulated. Like you can actually use a hydraulic mechanism to passively put a patient into a forward bending or a back bending position mm-hmm. i all of a sudden i kind of mm-hmm. want the tables that we use for our med students in our actual office because i'm like i mean look our tables are cool but they're uniplanar man you can't bend them for nothing versus like hey what if i just passively leave you an extension for a minute prop it up you know what i mean there's something yeah. to that oh that sounds like uh, more research needs to be needs to be done too yeah, context. Our med students have better tables than we do. <laughs> well, there are reasons for that, for sure. I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's they're they're real. They're really good tools, but you don't you don't need it that much. Uh, like uh, I remember, we were going to one of our yearly conferences a couple of years back, and one of the lectures was like doing OMT in a quote austere environment. I'm like, is this like a wilderness med lecture? What's going on here? And it was it was a it was like a it was the conference equivalent of clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like no. 
Oh, shows up expecting him to do OMT on on uh, a raft going down a rapid. Right. I'm like, where's this lady going with this? But she meant uh, without a table formally. Like, hey, you don't have an OMT table, but you got to take care of these patients. How do you do? And I'm like, oh, that's actually, you know mm-hmm. what? This isn't as like badass as I thought it was going to be. But this is still pretty <laughs> dope. Because uh, I remember I, I was reading uh, some of Still's older work. And he was talking about how like one of the first HVLA cases he wrote up was quite literally some dude fell off a horse. So he lied him down on the floor. He took two stakes, like wood, wood, like pull up wood uh, stakes, and drove him into the ground at either side of his neck, basically affixing his uh, his shoulders. And then he just like pulled his neck and popped like I don't know, see God knows what we don't know, obviously like one of the vertebrae, and the dude was like good to go. And I'm like, that's some, that is some like now that's crazy. Awesome. First of all, yeah, I was thinking, could you just get a friend to hold him down? Did you have to go all, you know, vampire with the wooden stakes and whatnot? But hey, point being, he didn't need a table. Uh, our context, the table is a relatively um, modern adaptation to what we do since it's so much body work. But yeah, <laughs> it's it's that kind of idea. I used to teach, I used to teach a um, yoga class for um, adults with um intellectual and developmental disabilities um so really? i remember um because a lot of times i think like with yoga you associate the yoga mat and um you know the block the strap the block and all of that so so it was interesting because um it was an all-level class and it was mostly a chair yoga class and um you just had to find ways to adapt the movement to uh, to the person and some people would just be able to do like upper extremity movement or um, you know some people were standing up others were sitting um, but but yeah I think um, I think sometimes we associate like you know you need an OMM table or you need a yoga mat and um, it's not necessarily true and that's one of the reasons I, I tell patients, you know, you should be doing yoga because it doesn't require all that many tools to actually do it. You know, Dr. Dante and I both do kettlebells. Dr. Dante does it much more than I do. But there's a there's a huge barrier to entry into weightlifting and resistance-based training and all of those kinds of things. With the internet so widespread now and YouTube and other video sources out there, you can find yoga routines for anyone under any budget and you can find different modifications if you don't have a block you've probably got some books at home if you don't have a strap i hope you have a at least a towel some some regular (laughs) object you can use to modify your technique so it's it's a great way to make exercise really accessible to folks who otherwise wouldn't have number one the know-how and number two the pocketbook that could afford it. Um, and and uh, thirdly, I, I love how, although there is potential for injury, like any active thing you do, if you're doing a real gentle yoga, it's much less likely to cause injury from the outset. It's usually, in my experience, it's usually people do the same thing over and over and over again. And get, you can get overuse even from yoga if you're not varying your routine. But um, yeah, it's a safe way to start exercising. A definite safe way to start exercising. 
So uh, just one other thought going back to the chair yoga. Have you seen anyone do any chair yoga for lower extremities, for legs and whatnot? For legs and lower extremities, you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You How would can. That, what would that modification look like? So um, instead of uh, doing like a seated forward fold, you can extend one leg out and the other leg is still bent and you kind of gently forward fold. Um, obviously, you don't want to, you know, topple over or anything, but um, you can still get like a hamstring stretch that way. Um, you can do um, like a hip stretch, like a modified um, pigeon pose, uh, which is where you can cross one ankle over the other knee um, and um, kind of fold forward. Um, you can u- also use the chair for support. Uh, like if someone uh, needs extra support with balance when they're doing like their warrior poses or um, a balancing poses, um, it would basically just be there as a as a support. Okay, okay. Uh, that's, uh, I, I've prescribed chair yoga in the past, but I've just never thought about doing it for low extremities and normally limit it to someone doing upper. And then I just realized as we were chatting that, no, we, we need to still do whole body mm-hmm. yoga, even... Uh, if they can only do it in a chair. So um, do you have a few online resources that you tend to send people to when when you're telling them to, to get online and do some yoga from that direction? I do. So my favorite, um, 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 I guess, um, yoga videos online um, are Yoga with Adrienne. Um, and I'm not oh, she... affiliated with, 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 you know, her, <laughs> she's wonderful. And, um, I've, you know, uh, used those sequences quite a bit. Um, and then I've recommended calm app before. It's more of like a meditation oh, yeah. app. Um, mm-hmm. So, so those I'm are just going to throw out there that I'm glad that you, you're a fan of lo- yoga with Adrian because, uh, I, I independently converged on that one. And I was always, uh, I wonder what mm-hmm. Dr. Bayakini will think about this one. Like, yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I wonder if she'll look at my choices and go, you idiot, this is the better way to do it. Yeah. But sweet endorsement by age, by, um, by Elizabeth. I'm, I'm satisfied. <laughs> well, it sounds like we all have used uh, yoga with Adrienne and uh, I've uh, referred her to many a patient. <laughs> so it sounds I mean, she like she makes good stuff. stuff. She does. She makes yeah. it very accessible. Um, yeah. And, and very approachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, oddly enough, I found out about her looking for videos for my patients. I never actually like sat through one of her videos for my own practice. It was kind of like, all right, I need you to learn a couple of these poses. Let me see what's on YouTube. And then I'll find like a video and mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, this 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 looks like it's doing it right. I want you to use this video. And then mm-hmm. months of that later, I'm like, I always end up looking at the same lady. Hold up. It's all the same person. Mm-hmm. Oh, crap. It's it's what's a yoga with Adrienne? Oh, crap. She has a YouTube channel. So she's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Although I, I am waiting for the yoga with Dr. Elizabeth to come out. Oh, not when, yet. When are we expecting to not see yet. the premiere for a yoga with Dr. Elizabeth? Not sure. <laughs> I haven't thought that far ahead. <laughs> All in good time. It's, mm-hmm. it's not like, well, it, you know, you've been kind of 
dealing with residency, which is its own set of uh, stressors, and then uh, Rona, of course. So, you know, you've got time. (laughs) So do you ever do any of your yoga routines outdoors or is it all indoors? Yes, I have done yoga outdoors and it's a lot of fun. Um, I've done, let's see, there was a um, donation yoga class. I forget what the donation charity was in front of the museums one time that I went to. That was a lot of fun. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, trying to think what else. Maybe I can think of, but it's, I think it's it's fun. Do you find any different, um, I, I'm not, I, not really results, but uh, uh, different uh, outcomes from doing yoga outdoors uh, other than uh, being in nature itself? Cool. I mean, that's a benefit in its own right. Yeah, that's true. Um, true that. I think, I think being outdoors is good for you in general. Um, and then I think practicing with other people also has been its own benefits as well because we're in a group and community and um, being in community has its own benefits as well. Yeah, yoga has that unique ability to bring introverts together where they know they don't have to talk to each other, but they can still socialize, yeah. if you will. That's why I like it so much. <laughs> I have never thought of it that way. <laughs> it's like, how do you get a bunch of like shy folks to hang out, tell them to shut up and do it like next to each other? It's yeah. kind of like... That must like, good. um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Dr. Dr. Dante. Go ahead. Sorry, um, uh, I'm forgetting the phrasing. I'm thinking about like, you know, there's that critical age in child development where you're like, the kids will parallel play, yes, yeah. That, that's that's how I'm seeing yoga classes now. It's just a bunch <laughs> of like adults in parallel play, and I'm like, oh man, <laughs> it's very individual team, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's it's like. It's there like is playing an no... MMORPG on your own. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I, I'm well, not guilty some... of. <laughs> so there, there is there's a concept for that. It's called Sangha or community. Um, and that has, you know, just beyond practicing in parallel, you do build community and you get to be around people and support each other. And, um, um, and that's part of, you know, being healthy as well as having supportive, you know, people around you. And and do you find that you maintain contact with some of your yoga friends outside of yoga? I do. I do. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, um, I I like your parallel to like an introverted activity, but you do meet people. You do meet people. The way for an introvert to meet somebody. <laughs> well, now it sounds like a dating service. <laughs> well, I guess that could be true. That could be true for sure. Uh, and that that could be a great resource for our patients who are nervous about getting out mm-hmm. into crowds, um, especially our patients who 
have anxiety as one of their major um, illnesses that they they deal with. And I never thought of it from that perspective, but that might be a really good way to get someone outside of their comfort zone and still be in their comfort zone. Have you ever used it for the more the mental illness um, aspect um, of care? I think when I was teaching, I could see people processing different things. Um, and I think that's part of the wonderful things about um, movement is that it's healing on many different levels. Um, and um, I, I think it can be helpful with things like anxiety and depression. And I love how you, you can you can go to a yoga class and you can be introduced to poses and take that with you so that mm -hmm. you have an additional tool. It's almost like a CBT, all, almost a cognitive behavioral therapy kind of thing where you can take something home with you mm -hmm. that uh, when you're feeling that anxiety, oh, I know I need to go into child's pose and maybe do a sequence that I just did in a class this week. Um, boy, that, that could be very beneficial. Now I'm going to have to think on that too. You've given me several things to think about Dr. Elizabeth today. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having uh, me. You know, that, this, uh, this has been, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I think one of the um, helpful things in clinic as well as you can, send someone home with a set of yoga poses or even one pose. And um, that's something that, you know, is they can use to take care of themselves and, um, you know, have be able to manage their own symptoms. Now, when you get someone started in yoga, uh, whether it be for mental illness or physical illness or whatever it may be, I generally do send folks home with the video resources, but do you think it may be a good idea to have someone look for a class so that they can work with an instructor to make sure that their poses are done in a safe way? Or is it generally acceptable? I don't know. Acceptable is not a great word. Generally okay for them to go home and get started before they've had anyone um, officially teach them. Um, like in clinic, we'll go over the poses and any modifications they might need. Um, I think if they do a, a yoga video, I think it's, it's safe to start at home. Um, I think that going over with um, poses with a teacher can also be helpful. Um, for example, I had that, that patient who was looking for prenatal yoga classes and of course a expecting mom would probably want, you know, um, some additional instruction or have questions, is this okay, or how do I modify or do this? Um, so I think it's also always helpful to work with a teacher or a therapist. Yeah, no, no headstands for the uh, prenatal visits, right? Um, well, th there may have been a reason why, why my wife asked me to do the headstand, not her do it herself, just putting that out there. <laughs> oh man 
I think if I think that if you were doing headstand before, and this is not medical advice, of course. Um, some yogis, if they um, were doing headstand before a pregnancy, they continue to practice that as well. And I, I imagine they can practice it relatively safely, relatively far into the pregnancy. Once you get too much uh, of that baby weight in front of you, it would make a, a true headstand a little bit more difficult for sure. Um, so that would definitely, as much as I, I was joking, uh, all jokes aside, it it is something that you would want to go to an instructor to make sure what you're doing is safe, especially in the, the yeah. perinatal period, for sure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I, I love I love how yoga can be done safely for such a wide variety of, of patients. And, you know, Dr. Elizabeth, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show again. Great episode. I think I think folks will find this to be very enlightening, honestly. And uh, we uh, we were excited to work with you all of these years and they're kind of sad to see you go, but now we know we have someone to visit in, in San Antonio in yeah. the future. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me again and your show is wonderful. I'm glad that you're continuing and developing. Well, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure to have you on and, and everyone. Thanks for joining us on Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast where We talk about your body and your health and how to fix things, including yoga. And everyone have a great week and we'll come talk to you again soon. Rolling Bones, the osteopathic podcast is brought to you by Dr. James Aston and Dante Paredes. We'd like to note that medicine is a constantly changing science and art with various approaches from practitioner to practitioner. This podcast represents the Roland Bones doctor's views of osteopathic medicine and OMT and will be as evidence-based as possible. Now, comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors are welcome, but no money from drug or device companies is accepted. By listening to this podcast, you agreed not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including, but not limited to, patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This applies to the hosts, guests, and contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall James Aston, Dante Paredes, or any guests or contributors to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. Please visit us on Twitter at Rollin' Bones Pod or send us messages at rollinbonespod at gmail.com. Thank you.